Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Now, time for the program. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. Hello, gang. Bill Creasy here, back from our Footsteps of St. Paul teaching tour to Greece and the Aegean. I had a wonderful time with 38 of our Logos Bible Study students traveling throughout Greece and taking a four-day cruise, visiting Mykonos, Crete, Santorini, and Patmos, the island where the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. You know, I love taking my students on adventures like this. Over the years, I've led over 2,000 of my students on teaching tours all throughout the Mediterranean world, to Israel, Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, Greece, Italy, Spain. In fact, this coming October 23rd through November 1st, I'll be leading a teaching tour to Italy, ending with a papal audience, and on January 4th through the 12th of this coming year, 2019, I'll be leading my 59th teaching tour to Israel. Now you might ask, why? Well, way back in 1992, I was a full-time faculty member in the English department at UCLA, and I was teaching several Bible classes near my home in Los Angeles. I had classes in Westwood, Santa Monica, Manhattan Beach, Granada Hills. And at the time, I had over a thousand students every week in the Bible classes. It was truly an, an extraordinary experience. Well, one evening, we had a visitor in from a travel company, and he heard about my classes, and he wanted to see what was attracting all these people to class. Well, after class, he and I sat down and we talked, and he said, how would you like to go to Israel for two weeks and explore the Holy Land? Sounded good to me, and he continued, I'd like you to join a group of pastors that my company is taking on a FAM tour or familiarization tour. It's free, he said. So what do you have to lose? Well, that did sound good to me, a free tour. And I had never been to Israel. So I jumped at the chance. Now the only catch was that sometime during the next year, I had to put a tour to Israel together using his company. Well, what the heck? Why not give it a try? So I did. It was an amazing experience. We landed in Tel Aviv. We stayed overnight at the Dan Panorama Hotel. And in the morning, we drove north up to Galilee. I remember vividly standing on the Mount of Beatitudes, looking out over the Sea of Galilee, the Golan Heights to the east, the Arbel Cliff in the distance, and Capernaum, a short walk downhill to the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. I felt the breeze from the west. It was gently blowing off the Mediterranean through the Arbel Pass and across the Sea of Galilee. My eyes were seeing what Jesus saw. My ears were hearing the birds singing and the wind in the trees, just as he did. I smelled the newly planted soil of the hills around me, like him. And I was breathing the very same air that he breathed. 
I sat on the ground and I wept, a huge lump in my throat. I had never experienced anything like it. As I sat on the hillside, I opened my Bible and I read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And I could imagine Jesus speaking the very words I was reading. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil things because of me. The Sermon on the Mount. You know, to this day, even as I'm speaking to you now, I can't read those lines without reliving that first experience, sitting on the hillside of the Mount of Beatitudes on a beautiful spring day. Each day of that visit to Israel opened with new experiences and new understandings of Scripture. You know, we've all read about Jesus walking on the water on the Sea of Galilee. We've all read the black words on a white page. But let me set the scene for you. Jesus had just learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered by Herod Antipas at Macarius, a hilltop fortress built by Herod the Great on the east side of the Dead Sea in modern-day Jordan. Now, John had not only been beheaded, but his head was presented to Salome, Herod's stepdaughter, on a platter at Herod's birthday party. Well, Jesus was stunned. He and John had grown up together. John was the forerunner, the one who would pave the way for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus knew that there'd be a price to pay for his ministry. But I don't think he ever thought that his cousin John would have his head sawn off as part of Herod's evening entertainment. Jesus badly needed time to process it all. He needed time alone with God, his Father, to sort things out, to determine what to do next. So he takes his closest friends, his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and some of the others, and he sails to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, to the Golan Heights of today. The Sea of Galilee is about 12 miles long and seven miles wide at its widest point. <laughs> Ironically, it's shaped, well, like a pork chop. But as Jesus and his disciples are sailing across the lake, crowds of people see him leaving, and they follow him, walking around the northern edge of the lake. And they meet him when the boat docks on the eastern shore. 5,000 people. Let me read you the story from Matthew chapter 14. 
And I begin at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. That would be the Golan Heights, a very isolated side of the lake. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. You know, the last thing he wanted to do was deal with a whole group of people. He needed time alone. He was grieving. He was heartbroken. He needed to confer with God. But he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him, and they said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go home and eat. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, where are they going to get food for 5,000 people? They said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. He directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Now the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men. And the word is Andres, it's a masculine plural. So there were women, there were children. There weren't 5,000 who ate, there were more like 15,000 who ate. So Jesus feeds the crowd. And notice how, how that happens. He said, you give them something to eat. And they said, we don't have anything. We only have five loaves and, and two fish. Jesus said, bring them to me. He blessed them, gave them back to the disciples, who then fed the crowd. And that's the direction of what we do. You know, we can't do this on our own. We can't be ministers of, of, of Christ on our own. He gives us talents, gifts, and abilities. We have to develop those talents, gifts, and abilities, but we give them to him, he blesses them, and gives them back, and then we can truly do our job. Well, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. So the crowd heads back around the northern shore, and the disciples get in the boat and they are rowing across uh, the Sea of Galilee. Now, the wind always picks up in the afternoon, around three, four o'clock in the afternoon. It comes off the Mediterranean and it gets stronger and stronger as the evening goes on. So the wind is blowing from the west and they're rowing toward the west. Now their backs are facing the west and they're looking east as they row. So they're rowing and when evening came he was alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. In fact we're told in the gospel according to John it was about midway out in the lake 
Now the lake at that point is about seven miles wide. So they're about three and a half miles out in the lake. And they were being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So again, the wind is picking up and it's hard rowing into the wind. Now during the fourth watch of the night, sometime between three and six a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now why did he do that? He came down off the Golan Heights to the shore and the crowd in fact hadn't gone home. They were lingering up there on the northern shore. The way he would go home is simply walk around the lake as they would have. But there's the crowd blocking the way, waiting for him. So Jesus looked at the crowd. He looked at the boat midway out on the lake. He was going back to Capernaum on the west side. So he simply walked across the water. It's the only miracle in scripture that has no moral or didactic purpose to it. He just wanted to go home. And he went from point A to point B across the water. Well, the disciples are rowing in the boat. And when they saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Well, you would too. When we travel to Israel and we're in Galilee, in the evening we take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. And I try to time that tour to Israel when there's a full moon on that night. Because the full moon rises from the east over the Golan. So picture the scene. Jesus is walking across the water with a full moon coming up behind him, the wind blowing in his face, his garments blowing out behind him, and he's backlit by the moon. So the disciples seeing him just see blackness, shadow in the front, and the garments blowing out behind. And it looks like a ghost drifting across the water. Well, we would think the same thing. And when we're out on that boat on the Sea of Galilee, and I tell the story on the boat at night, hopefully when there's a full moon, you understand the story. They were terrified. He said, take courage. It's, it's only me. Don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell us to come to you on the water. <laughs> We don't know how Jesus looked because he's backlit by the moon. We don't have a facial expression. But you know he had to be laughing to himself. So he said to Peter, come on. And Peter stood up in the boat, put one leg over the side, tested the water, and began walking on the water. Jesus walked on the water. Now Peter's walking on the water. But when Peter felt the wind and saw the waves. When he broke contact with Jesus and looked at his feet, what am I doing here? He began to sink. Well, you don't begin to sink if you walk out of the boat onto the water. You drop like a rock, and Peter did. Remember, his name means rock. Peter dropped like a rock, and Jesus reached out and took his hand right as it was about to go under the water. And he lifted him up and brought him back into the boat. Now, I imagine the other disciples in the boat were laughing uproariously. It's a funny scene. 
And Jesus said, not ye of little faith, but I can imagine him getting Peter in a headlock and nougating his head and saying, what were you thinking? Well, they head back to Capernaum and that's the end of the story. Now, we've been on the Sea of Galilee in a boat in the evening on a full moon many, many times. The tour coming up will be my 59th tour to Israel. So we've done this many times. I've also dived in the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee, as I mentioned, about 12 miles long, seven miles wide, and right at the center, it's 138 feet deep, depending on the water level, but 138 feet deep. I know because I dove it and I went to the bottom. The visibility is awful. You can't see anything. You just down, down, down. I'm watching my depth gauge, 100 feet, 110 feet, 120, 130, and all of a sudden a muddy bottom is coming up at me. And I found something on the bottom. Peter's wallet. <laughs> well, that's the story. You see, traveling to Israel or Egypt or Jordan or Turkey or Greece or Spain or Italy adds color, tone, and texture to the stories in the Bible. It enables me and you to make the characters come alive, to make the stories come alive, to remember them. And that's what the traveling is all about. It's not, oh, just a nice vacation. No, they're teaching tours. Every site we visit, I'm teaching scripture. And every site, I'm adding color, tone, and texture to the story. And we're sharing that story together. And then in the evening, when we have dinner together, and then after dinner, sit around the bar at night, drinking wine and talking. It's a wonderful time, a life-changing time. For many people, it's the highlight of their life. So we're leaving for Italy in October. We will be ending that tour with a papal audience. And then we head to Israel on January 4th. I hope you can come along. It would be well worth it, and I would love to meet you face to face. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. To find out more about our upcoming travel, go to LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Travel. You can also go directly to the Israel trip by going to LogosBibleStudy.com Israel. That's LogosBibleStudy.com Israel. Now back to the program. Here's Dr. Creasy. Well, welcome back. Hey, while we were traveling in the footsteps of St. Paul last month, on one of the nights toward the end of the trip, we were having dinner, my students and I, at the Plaka in Athens, right at the foot of the Acropolis. And one of my students at dinner asked me, you know, we had been all over Greece and the Aegean, and we had seen all the places that Paul went to, taught all the stories about Paul on site. But one of my students asked, do you think St. Paul ever met Mary, Jesus' mother? Well, that's an intriguing question, and I had never really thought about that. But let's explore the possibility. Paul was the great persecutor of the church. After Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, we talked about Paul in, in other podcasts and in many of my classes. But Paul Paul was the young rising star in Judaism. 
He was marked out for greatness. F.F. Bruce, who wrote the best biography of Paul, Paul, an apostle of the heart set free, wrote that even if the event on the road to Damascus had never happened, history would know of Saul of Tarsus. He was destined for greatness. And indeed he was. He was the rising star. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, uh, the beginning of Passover week. And thousands of people were on the Mount of Olives greeting him, proclaiming him king. Where was Paul during that time? Was he, he was in Jerusalem for sure. Was he checking his email at Starbucks? I'll bet Paul walked over to the Mount of Olives and watched as Jesus rode in. It's only 350 yards from the temple area. Did he wonder, could this be the Messiah? But then when Jesus got to the temple area, he didn't greet people. He went into the temple area with a whip and he wrecked the place. He turned over the money changers' t tables. He, he tossed people out. And then he went away. And each day of that week, of what we call Holy Week, Jesus escalated the encounter. The religious leaders sent a delegation to confront him each day. And every day Jesus bested them. I wonder if Paul was in that delegation. He was, after all, the young rising star. After Jesus' crucifixion, we read that the religious leaders passed by the foot of the cross and they mocked him and they ridiculed him and they spit on him. You think Paul may have been one of those religious leaders? Do you think Saul of Tarsus may have spit in the face of Jesus on the cross? Perhaps. And then, after the resurrection, after the church began to grow, persecution began. And Saul of Tarsus led the persecution. The stoning of Stephen. Stephen was arrested. He was tried before the Sanhedrin, and he was dragged out and stoned. And Saul stood there supervising the stoning of Stephen. And then, Fierce anger, he went house to house, hunting these believers, rounding them up, throwing them in prison. Later, as the Apostle Paul, he tells us, I was the greatest of sinners. I don't think he's exaggerating. It's not hyperbole. I was the greatest of sinners. But on the road to Damascus, all that changed, and Saul of Tarsus his entire world was turned upside down. Everything he believed, everything he held dear, was pulled out from under him. What a change. From the greatest of sinners, he will become the greatest of saints. Well, after his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, he went to Damascus, where, after healing, he began preaching Christ and got into trouble. They had to get him out of Damascus, lowering him in a basket down a wall. And he scampered off into the night. He went to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. They were afraid of him. But Barnabas set up the meeting, 
Barnabas determined Paul was authentic. So the apostles meet him, and Paul begins teaching in Jerusalem. And he got in trouble again. So the apostles send him back home to Tarsus, eastern Turkey of today. And we read in Acts, then the church had peace. They get Paul out of town, and things finally settle down. But what did he do after he went to Tarsus? When Paul writes a letter to the churches in Galatia, churches plural, Galatia is a territory. When he writes a letter to the churches in Galatia in the early 50s, he tells them that no person, no man gave me the gospel. No person told me this message of the gospel. I was given it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ, from the risen and glorified Christ. And then he tells us in Galatians that after he left Damascus, after he went to Jerusalem, after he was in Tarsus, he then went to Arabia. Arabia, of all places, Saudi Arabia of today. And it seems that he spent three years in Arabia. Now I wonder, when Paul was in the deserts of Arabia for three years, is that when the risen and glorified Christ presented the gospel to him? Imagine, the other disciples, the apostles, the twelve, were with him on the roads of Galilee for three years, listening to him teach and preach, learning what they needed to do to get the message out to the world. Paul never had that opportunity. But perhaps during that three years in Arabia, just as the disciples had three years with Jesus on the road to Damascus, with the Christ in the flesh, perhaps Paul had three years with the risen and glorified Christ in the desert of Arabia, where he was tutored by Christ himself. Huh. Imagine a three-year private tutorial by the risen and glorified Christ. What would that result in? Well, Paul ends up writing 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. He evangelizes all of Asia Minor and a good chunk of Europe. After he came back from Arabia, he tells us in Galatians that he went to Jerusalem where he visited with James, the brother of the Lord. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And that's all he tells us. And then he went home. But if Paul spent time with the risen and glorified Christ, if Christ told him the full extent of the gospel message, recognizing in his own mind who he was, what he did, he was the greatest of sinners. He murdered Christians. I wonder then if when he went back to Jerusalem, he met Mary because she was in Jerusalem. John was taking care of her, the Apostle John. She was with the other apostles in the upper room right after the ascension. She stayed there with them. And do you think Paul may have asked James, do you think your mother would see me? 
And if she did, picture that scene. And this would make such a wonderful painting. I've never seen a painting like this. But imagine Mary seated and Paul on his knees before her. Mary holding his hand with her right hand and touching Paul's cheek with her left. And Paul looking up into Mary's eyes with tears streaming down his face, saying, I am so sorry for what I did. Now we have nothing about this in scripture. We can only infer it. But I like to imagine that happened. I think it would be a wonderful scene to paint and a wonderful scene to ponder because we can put ourselves in Paul's place on our knees before Jesus' mother asking for forgiveness for the things that we've done that have shamed and humiliated her son. I don't know about you, but I've done plenty of them. I've asked God for forgiveness. I've asked Christ for forgiveness. And I've asked Mary for forgiveness too, for hurting her son. It's a pensive time all of a sudden, but hey, I look forward to, to seeing you next week. So have a blessed week. Uh, keep me in your prayers. I'll keep you in mine. So long. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Don't forget to check out LogosBibleStudy.com Israel to book your place now for the upcoming Israel Highlights Tour. That's LogosBibleStudy.com Israel. We'll see you next week.